The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome. To the Bruce Exclusive, I am your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this special Friday episode. Now, I I know that I call every episode special, and they are special. They're unique, special snowflakes. They are my babies that I very carefully make with love and distribute to Bill's Mafia and football fans at large that I love dearly. But this one is extra special. This is the final episode, for now, of the podcast series that we have been doing on football myths. And yesterday, we brought in a special guest, Greg Tomset, cover one, to talk about his football myth and something that really stuck in his craw. And if you know me at all, you're going to know that we have been building to this moment for a month. We've been building to this moment where I get to explain to you the biggest Bruce-ism of all time. The one that will be carved on my tombstone long after I'm gone. And of course, it won't make any sense to anybody passing by because my real name will be on my tombstone. Maybe then my two worlds will collide. Somebody will walk by the tombstone and go, hey, wait a second. Bruce Nolan. Oh my gosh, this guy was Bruce Nolan? And it'll start off this whole chain reaction and news crews will get involved about doing this research on this guy who used to be this no-name blogger and podcaster. It was, it was, it'll be great. It'll be great. But we're going to talk about why wins are a quarterback stat. You have heard me talk about this many times. Wins are not a quarterback stat. Wins are not a quarterback stat. Wins are not a quarterback stat. And maybe... You have agreed with me on a bunch of other one of these myths. Chances are you might not agree with me on all the myths we've talked about. These are strong opinions that are closely held. And the reason that I even did the podcast series is, number one, we're short on content. 
because there were no OTAs and there wasn't a ton of stuff to talk about. So we talk about football in general and I have strong opinions on them. I think it's fun to have those discussions. But in addition to that being the case, the other thing was that I wanted to get to this in addition to just being the fact that there's no content. I wanted to get to this right here. And you might not have agreed with me on all the other ones, but it's all been building up to this moment right here. Why wins are not a quarterback stat. I have the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the four points that I use, the tenants that I use to explain why wins are not a quarterback statistic. I affectionately refer to as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That's how important they are to me. And we're going to jump right in and get started with the first one. And then when we're done with all this stuff, we're going to do your almighty takes in regards to Bill's training camp, assuming we get some of it. The first reason why wins are not a quarterback stat are that quarterbacks do not have the snap to snap effect on the game that you think they do. So let's break down every single snap that you would traditionally have in a football game. I think it'd be fair to say 45, 45, 10, 45% offense, 45% defense, 10% special teams. That's a reasonable, maybe a little bit less special teams, but let's just use for nice rounding purposes. Let's use that. Now, can you agree with me that a quarterback has no effect on the result of a play, on the result of the play, he might have an effect on the situation behind the play, but the result of the play for all of the defensive snaps and all of the special team snaps. Okay, great. Now, that means we're now at 45%, because that's the offense. We broke it down to 45% offense. Now, would you agree with me that they have very little impact on running plays? We know that they can flip left to right. They can check into and out of running plays to get particularly good looks or particularly bad looks if the, in the event of the quarterback not being properly prepared. Sometimes they don't have audible ability, but we can agree they don't have a big part in the running game. They have some, but not a big part. In addition, we know that running is typically somewhere between 40 and 45% of offensive snaps. So we were already at 45% snaps when it comes to the effect that a quarterback has on the game. Now, Let's say we take, let's say we say 60. Let's say the team passes the ball 60% of the time, okay? So we're going 65% of 45%. Now we're at 27%, but now we have to add some back because we just said that they do have some impact on the running game. So those other 40% were run plays. Let's say they have, let's be generous. Let's say 10%. 10% of that. Okay, let's just add that to the top just to be real nice. We're at 37%. And now you're going to assume that the quarterback has 100% impact. This is even being very generous. We're assuming the quarterback has 100% of the impact on every single passing play, which is also not true. There are other people involved in that too. But even if that was the case, even if we were being super generous, which we have been so far, the quarterback has 37% of the effect of the game. 37. You're going to assign 100% of the win and 100% of the loss to someone who, albeit, has a plurality impact, but not a majority impact. So it's very important that we understand the definition of those two terms. 
The majority means over 50%. The plurality means the largest of the parts. So all majorities are pluralities, but not all pluralities are majorities. So if you were doing a pie graph and the pie graph represented reasons why you win and lose a game, the quarterback would be the largest piece of that pie for sure. But we've already established that the largest piece of that pie would be 37%. Now you have to add in defensive play, coaching, special teams, time management, all the stuff that goes along with that. How about just flat out talent level around them? Even being unbelievably generous to quarterbacks, they have 37% impact on the game. And we all know that's actually less than that. I was just being really generous for the purposes of this argument. So you're going to take 100% of the credit for winning and losing to the point where you're willing to assign a win-loss record to a player even though he has generously 37% of the impact on a game. One out of 22 starters on offense and defense plus special teams players. So how many total players on each? Well, we know 53 on each side. The vast majority of them get at least one snap. So 106 players on the field over the course of that game, and two of them are going to get credit for the win or the loss. Numerically, that is absurd. It is completely absurd to assign 100% of the credit and 100% of the blame statistically to one or two players, whether or not you want to use wins, losses, or both, out of 106. It's ridiculous. The second tenet as to why wins are not a quarterback stat is it assigns a level of intangibles to a quarterback that overstates his control. This is how we get into things like, well, he's a winner. He's a winner. Well, we've already established that generously he has 37% of the impact on a game. Whether or not he's a winner or a loser is irrelevant. Well, he's, you know, his leadership. Oh, come on. There are good quarterbacks with great win-loss records who were terrible leaders. The examples are all over the place to back up this point. No one has ever talked about Aaron Rodgers being a astounding leader. Ben Roethlisberger, same. A lot of quarterbacks who are winners, quote-unquote, which is a horrible, horrible method to use to describe a quarterback. They're, they're not winners because there's some elite intangible that's about them. It's just rallies everyone around them. That stuff exists. Be very, very careful how you interpret this argument. That stuff exists. But if you assign winning and losing to one player, you are overstating that. That stuff matters. Leadership matters. Culture matters. We've talked about this before. Just because it can't be quantified doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It absolutely matters. But if you assign winning and losing to a quarterback, what you're doing is you're taking that thing that is a very small piece of the overall puzzle as far as whether or not a quarterback wins and loses, and you are assigning it an overly large amount of weight. You are ballooning the importance of that trait as if it's this weird, intangible, sort of abstract ether quality. Oh, uh, it's just, I don't know, he's a winner. We did that with Tebow coming out. Well, he's just, he's a winner. It doesn't matter if he can't throw the ball. It doesn't matter if he can't make the right reads. It doesn't matter if he's not accurate. That stuff does matter. 
I'm not going to take away that aspect entirely and say, no, it doesn't matter. But when you assign winning and losing to a quarterback, what you're doing is you're taking that one part of it, the part that says, oh, he's intangibles, he's a winner, and you're overinflating it because it's a small part of whether or not a team wins and loses. The third tenant as to why wins are not a quarterback stat is that it doesn't properly evaluate how a quarterback played in the macro and in the micro. In order for something to be valuable, it has to be valuable whether you're looking at it from a macro or micro perspective. If it is only valuable in the macro to the point where it gets diluted by all other competing factors, it's not valuable. So, a quarterback can play very, very well, can play amazingly, and lose the game. Why? Because they only have 37% impact generously. We already established that in point number one. A quarterback can play terribly and win a game. Now, in the macro, better quarterbacks have a tendency to have better win-loss records. Of course they do. Because the quarterback play, we've already established, is the biggest piece of the pie that goes into winning and losing. And over a long period of time, that's going to weigh itself out into win-loss records over time. Of course that's the case. But in the micro, it doesn't work. Well, you know, he didn't win against that playoff game. Well, did he play well? We have established tons of methods for evaluating quarterback. The fact that we're still using wins and losses to do it is absurd. It doesn't work in both the macro and the micro. It only works over the course of a ton of statistically significant data, and you can only acquire that data if the guy is good enough for the team to continue to give him a chance and he doesn't get hurt. It doesn't work. It does not work. There are plenty of really bad quarterbacks out there who have reasonable starting records as a quarterback because of all the other things associated with playing quarterback. Again, it's the biggest part of winning and losing. Whether or not you have a good quarterback is the biggest part of winning and losing. But it's not big enough for this nonsense. Which brings me to my fourth tenet as to why wins are not a quarterback stat. It is because we have infinitely more valuable measurements of a quarterback. The fact that we still use wins and losses to measure a quarterback is just absurd. It is the dullest of all metrics. It's worse than passing yards. It's hilarious because there are a bunch of people who hate using raw statistics. Passing yards, completion percentage, things like that. But yet those same people are willing to use wins, which is even less of a valuable metric. The base metric for evaluating a team is wins, losses. And then as you go down the road and start adding more and more and more and more context to your statistics, you start getting raw statistics, and then you get raw ratios like yards per attempt, yards per carry, and then you're still missing stuff. So then we graduate to holistic stats like QBR, and then you add context and opportunity cost, and that's how you get things like PFF grade. The most basic elementary and evolutionary unsound statistic is win-loss ratio. But yet we still use it. Even the people who espouse the benefit of advanced metrics and turn up their nose at passing yards, they still use wins. 
which is obscene. Because if passing yards aren't valuable, wins are definitely not valuable. Why? Well, think about it. Why do they not use passing yards? Because it it just doesn't tell nearly enough of the picture. If you throw a three-yard out route to a dynamic skill position player, they break seven tackles and run it 90 yards for a touchdown, the quarterback didn't really do much. But he gets credit for 90 yards and a touchdown. That's the reason people don't like using passing yards. But yet you're going to use wins? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. You don't want to use it because it doesn't give enough context, but you're going to use wins because that gives enough context? You can't have it both ways. You can't say raw statistics aren't good or yards per carry isn't good. The same people who say yards per carry isn't good, you got to use rushing success rate. Those same people will occasionally use wins, which is just insane. That is insane. The fourth reason is that we have infinitely more positive metrics. I'll take QBR over wins any day. I'll take net yards adjusted per attempt any day over wins. I'll take, I might even take passer rating over wins. I would take a ton of things over wins. And if we have all these things that will better measure how a quarterback performs than wins, why would we use wins? There's no purpose in using wins. And that is my final wrap-up point. It's not one of the four horsemen. The final wrap-up point is there's no point. It tells you nothing. Because no matter what you are trying to achieve by using win-loss ratio to describe a quarterback, you can achieve that same thing better by using something else. So to recap, they have a smaller snap-to-snap effect on the game than you think. I very generously estimated 37%. The second thing is it assigns a level of intangibles to a quarterback that overstates their value. If you can assign win and loss to a quarterback, all of a sudden you start to slip into, well, he's a winner. He rallies his team, all of which is true, but not as big as you might think. The third thing is that that statistic does not work in both the micro and the macro. It only works to describe a quarterback in very, very rare circumstances where there's statistically significant data and all the other metrics have been controlled for and you have team competence. There's no method in which you could look at that and go, yeah, totally, that works. That's a proper way to evaluate a quarterback. And the last thing is that we have infinitely more valuable measurements of a quarterback play than wins and losses. There is no reason to use winning and losing on a quarterback. Zero. We're going to take a quick break. I'm going to calm down. I get a little heated. It's okay, though. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. And then we're going to go through your almighty takes in regards to Bill's training camp 2020. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge... That takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. 
And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of The Bruce Exclusive. I am your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. So it's time for your almighty take of the week. And it's about Bill's training camp this time. And we're going to dive right in. Jeremy Gugino says, Jason Kroom will emerge in training camp as a challenger to Tyler Croft. As such, the Bills will cut Lee Smith or more likely Tommy Sweeney. By season's end, he will be TE2 and we will have one of the best TE tandems in the AFC. Holy crap, Jeremy. Why didn't you tell me that you were a crewmaholic? I don't know. I'm just... I feel like that's... Crewmaholic works, right? Crewmagator? I like crewmagator. Like fumigator? Yeah, let's go with crewmagator. I didn't know you were a crewmagator. I am not a crewmagator. I do not think there's a reasonable path for Jason Kroom to make this team. I think that's an incredibly hot take. He'll be TE2 by the end of the year. Um, I don't. I personally don't see it happening. It'll be very interesting because Kroom has always been interesting because he's a converted wide receiver. So you know he has some of those skills that he brought with him from Tennessee where he had the ability to do things that other tight ends might not necessarily be able to do. But he hasn't shown it thus far. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say unlikely on that. Bogey McBurdy says, Bill's training camp by day four, Three, pair, three players will have tested positive for COVID. Every team will be in a similar situation. Eventually, the league will shut it down. Don't talk to me about too much money out there. Players risk everything. Owners risk nothing for money. Okay. Well, I said a couple weeks ago that there was too much money out there for me to be of the opinion that they would not have a season. Could that change? Sure, that could change. I would, I would argue against the fact that owners risk nothing because they risk their money to get more money. That's part of why you buy a team as an investment. You risk some money in the event that you're going to get more money. So they do risk something. Players risk their health much more so than owners do. I would agree with that. But I don't think this is incredibly unlikely based on the way this is trending. I don't think it's unlikely that the NFL would end up shutting it down. I am starting to work on the idea that there, if there isn't a season, I need to have something to talk to you about. So I have started to work on that in the event that this were to happen. So I'm I'm preparing as if that's a possibility because better safe than sorry. I don't think that's a crazy take at all. At the Bills Blues says MC Blowhard would decisively win a rap battle against Cole Beasley at Bills training camp. So for those of you who do not know, uh, MC Blowhard, some of the original Bills backers pod fans and the original Nick and Nolan fans know that we had this running thing going earlier in the podcast life where... If you wrote a review on the iTunes store in the form of a rap, I would I would rap it. And one of the guys called me a blowhard, so it kind of MC blowhard sort of started. I do not think I would win a rap battle against Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley has bars, dude. Like, legit bars. I, I'm really pleased with Cole Beasley's uh, abilities. Cole Beasley's one of my favorite players on the Bills, just as a, as a low-key ability. I, I, 
I think he's an incredibly likable guy. Um, I admire his tenacity. I admire the way he works. I admire the skill set. I admire the fact that he has interests outside of football. Um, I really like Cole Beasley. So, but I would probably lose, is my guess, a rap battle, especially if we had to improv. I'm not entirely sure I could do it. If you gave me time to prepare, I might be able to compete, but I definitely would not win. Sprinkle the process at F Zilmer says, thank you for the awesome podcast. You are welcome. Sprinkle the process. I really appreciate you saying that. I believe we will see a significant decrease in training camp injuries and a substantial increase in injuries during the first four weeks of the 2020 season. I think that's reasonable. They're going to be more willing to take it easy at the very beginning of training camp. And because of that, when they finally do ramp up, you wonder about soft tissue injuries. You wonder about hammies, quads, things like that. I agree with that. I think that's a very reasonable take. At Soul Patchen says, his almighty take is that the competition between Allen and Bass as to who can throw or kick the ball the farthest will be number one on the Sports Center top 10 and will be a unifying event throughout this, their first championship caliber season. I'll bet you Josh Allen could throw the ball farther than Tyler Bass can kick it. I'll bet you that's Kevin because I think Josh Allen can throw the ball about 80 yards and you'd have to make a 70 yard field goal because the end zone's 10 yards in order to do it. So it'd be, it'd be close. It'd be really close. That'd be a fun. That's a fun question. I might, I might, I might do some work on that. I wonder who could throw the ball farther could Allen throw the ball farther or could Bass kick the ball farther? I think Allen could probably throw it farther, but it'd be really close. That's it. I'm, I'm down with that. I'm down with that. Nathan Cheeseburger Walrus says his almighty take is it's day one. All players walk onto the field and notice a ball placed 65 yards away from the uprights. Tyler Bass comes out and asks for a volunteer to hold. Allen gets down. Bass puts it through the uprights and does the McGregor strut off the field. New starting kicker. That's a bold take, Cotton. See if it works out for him. I don't think Allen, I think the most unlikely part about this is not is not Tyler Bass making a 65-yard field goal. It's Allen doing the holding. I don't think Allen put those fingers at risk for a uh, for a 65-yard field goal in training camp. So, you know, maybe Barkley, maybe Corey Bajorquez, but I'm going to say no to this take, but not for the reason you think. It's because I don't think Allen would hold it. J-A-O-H-L-1. I still don't know how to pronounce your name. It's okay. It's cool. I know you, though. Says his almighty take was training camp will replace preseason. I think that's very likely. I think preseason getting canceled in its entirety is, is fairly likely. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't think that's unreasonable at all. At Family Quee says, hashtag almighty take. Bill's training camp will conclude with at least one new starting offensive lineman, but not due to injury. Ooh, spicy take, Paul. Okay. So let's think who that was. So probably not Deion Dawkins, probably not getting replaced, probably not Quentin Spain because we just re-signed him. Definitely not Mitch Morse. The right tackle is Cody Ford and the right guard is John Feliciano. So what you're probably saying here is Ford or Feliciano are going to get replaced. My guess is you're thinking that either Daryl Williams will slide in at right tackle for Cody Ford or at right guard for Feliciano or you're saying Spencer Long will take John Feliciano's spot at right guard. I don't think it's unreasonable for Daryl Williams to be the starting right guard, but I think they brought him in as a backup plan for Cody Ford to tackle because that's where they've seen him play his best previously. They saw him as an all-pro right tackle in Carolina 
it seems reasonable to me that they would view him as being, yeah, okay, he's got some swing potential as far as versatility on the offensive line, but if Cody Ford doesn't take the next step that we want, we have an ability there, or if he gets hurt. At 94 till infinity says, bit of a reaching one, his almighty take. Jake Fromm will be cut during training camp, not due to ability, but his PR fiasco earlier this year. Trey White is 100% a leader on this team and was quite vocal with his displeasure. His tweets are still up. White better than QB2 slash QB3. I'm going to disagree with this because I think if they were going to cut him due to that, they already would have cut him. I don't necessarily disagree he won't make the team. I've mentioned before that I think it's a fairly reasonable possibility that Jake Fromm doesn't make the team. But I think if they were going to cut him for that reason, it would have already happened. Plus, the team has already been together. Now, they've been together virtually, but I think if that was going to create problems with Tredavious White specifically, it would have already done it. So sometimes there's this weird curve when it comes to PR stuff. And if you don't cut him now, then you probably miss the window for it. So it wouldn't behoove the Bills to cut him for that reason, and it doesn't seem like it would suddenly pop up now. There doesn't seem to be an... There's, it's kind of a bell curve when it comes to that kind of stuff. It kind of reaches a peak and then it dies off. But with Tredavious White specifically, you feel like that would have already inflamed if it was going to. So, yeah. All right, Drew Pomerantz says his almighty take is that passing and stopping the pass may be more important than running and stopping the run. But for offensive linemen, give me a better run blocker than a pass blocker. Line and scheme are more important for the running game, more so than the running backs. Okay, this was not a training camp take. Drew Drew, I'm going to wag my finger at you, dude. I'm going to answer your almighty take because I love you guys, but you broke the rules. I think I'd still take a better pass blocking offensive lineman just based on snap count. If you're going to pass 60% of the time and run 40% of the time, then I'd rather have someone who's better at doing the thing you're going to be doing more often. And I think that that's backed up. If you look at the tackles that are drafted high and the offensive linemen that are drafted high, Typically, the prioritization there is pass blocking. I mentioned to you guys leading up to the 2019 draft that there was a particular tackle from Washington State who I really liked. And I said he had some dancing bare feet, but his question was going to be about about whether or not he could pass blocks or whether or not he could run block effectively because he never really had to do it. And the Eagles didn't stop from taking him in the first round. They took him in the first round despite all those questions, despite the fact that he passed blocked the overwhelming majority of the time because that's the trait that is valuable. That's what matters. So the Eagles take Andre Dillard. They trade up to do it, do it in front of the Texans and they took somebody who really had questions about whether or not he was going to be a good, effective run blocker. And the reason they did that is because they agree with me that pass blocking is overly more important than run blocking strictly because of the amount of snaps you do it versus the other one. And though I would agree that there are more factors contributing to a successful pass play. I agree with that, that there are tons of other factors that go into a pass play as opposed to a run play, a run play a little bit more simple. Now, obviously, I don't mean that to demean run schemes. There are very complicated run schemes available out there. But there are more factors involved in a passing play because you have more more variables. But I still think it's too important because of the snap count. So that right there is 
my opinion on that almighty take. Omega says, I hate to be that guy, but the quality of the Bruce exclusive podcast has gone downhill stunningly fast. To give morons such as myself a platform to spout our sous vide nonsense, I thought better of you. His almighty take is I shouldn't be giving you guys a platform, but you know what? Hey, you know what? I'm open to more suggestions when it comes to fan engagement, guys. I did this because I wanted to engage with the fans. I wanted something to be able to do that and talk back to you guys and have you send me something and then listen to the pod hoping I would talk about it. I wanted that. I wanted a back and forth. I can't do Q&A. We already got a Q&A podcast on the Buffalo Rumblings Network. Listen to that on Tuesdays. Matt Warren, nice little plug there for him. But I'm open to more other fan engagement. If you guys have suggestions, I'm listening. I'm all ears. The Bills Blues, the Bills Blues jumps in again. If the Bills were allowed to have one fan into training camp, who would you choose and why is the answer me? Hmm. Okay, well, I love you, Bills Blues. The answer is probably not you. It would probably be somebody who I think would be able to give us the best possible recaps that were non-media related. Hmm. That's a good question. That's a really good question. I didn't think about it at all until now. You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say Sean Murphy from Buffalo Rumblings. The reason I'm going to say Sean Murphy is because he's been at training camp before and he's given great updates, but he can do that and provide them without it being through a paywall, which a lot of people get upset about. I don't get upset about it. I think if you want something valuable, you got to pay for it. That's just the way it is. But for those people who wanted to get info and wanted to get it distributed, I think if I sent Sean Murphy from Buffalo Rumblings to training camp, it would benefit Bill's Mafia as a whole. And that's really what I'm worried about. I'm worried about you guys. I care about you guys. So I would send Sean Murphy. That's who I would send. Okay. S-A-R-T-R-E-11, Sartre, Sartre, whatever it is. He says, training camp will be canceled before or during due to the virus surge in many states that have NFL teams. It does not seem likely from what the league has previously indicated that other teams would allow it to resume. I hope this does not happen. I don't think it's unreasonable. I don't think it's unreasonable for us to push back the start of the season. I hope we have it. I hope we have it for a lot of reasons. I'm a Bills fan. I'm a football fan. I love football. Going this long without football is, a, is just painful to me. I love football. I don't just love the Bills. I love all football. It hurts me more. Because I'm not just missing Bills football. I'm missing all the football. I'm missing college football. I miss the XFL. I miss all the football, ladies and gentlemen. I'll, uh, to be fair, my, my Vipers were not doing overly well in the XFL. But you know what? I miss the XFL too. I miss all of it. I hope it doesn't happen either, but I don't think that's an unreasonable take by any means. So that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Those are all of your almighty takes for now. I hope you enjoyed this. I enjoyed this. I know we get a little, you know, heated about wins not being a quarterback stat. But hey, you know what? Strong opinion. It's been built over a, a lifetime of football fandom. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Make sure to come back next week. Your almighty take for next week, hit me with the hashtag almighty take, is an almighty take regarding one of our AFC East foes. And specifically predictions about one of our AFC East foes. Because we're going to be talking about AFC East foes and know thy enemy next week. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining me. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.
Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.